Good morning and welcome to our service as we gather here at St Stephen's Bellevue Hill in our online service once again. We begin with the words of a psalm, Psalm 75. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high, or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. Let us lift our voices in song. Zechariah chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach, and Damascus is its resting place. For the Lord has an eye on mankind, and on all the tribes of Israel, and on Hamath also, which borders on it, Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise. Tyre has built herself a rampart, and heaped up silver like dust, and fine gold like the mud of the streets. But behold, the Lord will strip her of her possessions and strike down her power on the sea, and she shall be devoured by fire. Ashkelon shall see it and be afraid. Gaza too and shall writhe in anguish. Ekron also because its hopes are confounded. The king shall perish from Gaza. Ashkelon shall be uninhabited. A mixed people shall dwell in Ashdod. And I will cut off the pride of Philistia. I will take away its blood from its mouth and its abominations from between its teeth. It too shall be a remnant for our God. It shall be like a clan in Judah and Ekron shall be like the Jebusites. Then I will encamp at my house as a guard so that none shall march to and fro. No oppressor shall again march over them for now I see with my own eyes. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, 
I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double, for I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet, and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them, and they shall devour and tread down the sling stones, and they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine. Be full like a bowl, drench like the corners of the autumn. On that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. For how great is his goodness and how great his beauty. Rain shall make the young men flourish and new wine the young women. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We come before the Lord in confession, remembering that the kingdom of God is, is at hand. And the summons is to repent and believe the gospel. The sacrifice acceptable to the Lord is a humble and contrite heart. A humble heart, O God, you will not despise. Let us approach the throne of our gracious God with a true heart and full assurance of faith, invite you to pray the prayer of confession as you don't have your prayer before you. I'll pray it in sections and allow time for you to pray it in the quiet of your heart. Let us pray. Merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the schemes and desires of our own hearts and have broken your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done and we have done what we ought not to have done. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent according to the promises declared to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that from now on we may live godly and obedient lives. To the glory of your holy name, Amen. God desires that no one should perish, but that all should turn to Christ and live. We confess our sins in response to his call. God pardons those who humbly repent and truly believe the gospel. And therefore we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Behold, I am coming soon, says the Lord. The song soon.
When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death, and they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price on, of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas! Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified! And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified! So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot, riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord 
and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. The song, Jerusalem.
Almighty God, your Son, Jesus Christ, has promised that you will, you will hear us when we ask in faith. Receive the prayers we offer. We pray for your church, remembering Christians in other countries, especially where there is suffering, danger and persecution. And praying for our own diocese and the Anglican Church here in Sydney and in our country. We pray for our Archbishop Glenn, our Bishop Michael. We uphold this parish in Stephen's Belvia Hill. Strengthen your people, we pray, for their witness and work in the world. Fill your ministers with your spirit, that they may faithfully preach the gospel and administer your holy sacraments. Unite in the truth all who confess your name, that we may live together in love and proclaim your glory in all the world. Father, hear our prayer through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray for our country, remembering the work of the Bush Church Aid. Lord our God, help us to remember those who live in isolated and remote parts of our land. We ask you to strengthen and encourage all whose ministries are supported by the Bush Church Aid Society. Refresh them in times of discouragement and loneliness and call others to stand with them in the task of making Christ known. Grant that through the ministry of the Word and Sacraments, through caring service and by support for young people, the message of your redeeming love may be proclaimed and accepted by the people of our land. This we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Mary is going to continue to lead us in further prayer. Let us pray. A prayer for Australia in a time of pandemic. Great God and Heavenly Father, come powerfully to our nation in these dark and difficult days. Please show the spread of this virus throughout our land and please protect the vulnerable from its deadly touch. Lay your healing hands upon those who are now infected and restore them to health and strength. Comfort the families of those who have died from this disease and fill their hearts with your presence, gathering around them friends, family and neighbours who will comfort and support them in their time of loss. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the gift of modern medicine, and thank you for the passion and dedication of medical staff everywhere. Give each one of them your wisdom in every decision they make. Please protect and sustain them, and give them the strength, energy and courage they need to carry on. Please guide the minds of our readers, leaders in the decisions they make that will affect all our lives and lead them to act wisely, carefully, and in the best interests of all Australians. Please shine your light on the path ahead. Draw close to our anxious hearts and troubled minds, those who face great financial stress. Protect them and their families from long-term economic damage and guide them day by day and step by step through this crisis. Give each one of us the calmness and wisdom we need to carry us together through the days, weeks and months ahead. Lord God, plant into the heart of every Australian 
the spirit to love our neighbours as ourselves, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus in caring for those around us, friends and strangers alike, as you draw our community together in love. Loving Heavenly Father, draw especially close to those who are alone or troubled at this difficult time. Calm their troubled hearts and move their friends, family and acquaintances to call them to encourage and support them. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you understand our suffering, for you too have suffered. You have seen your beloved Son suffer rejection, humiliation and death on the cross to rescue us from the powers of darkness. Please bring good out of this great evil. Please remind each of us that we do not need to make the journey of life on our own, in our own strength, but that you are here, as close to us as our own breath, to fill our hearts with your love, surround us with your powerful protective arms, and guide us in your path. And we ask all these things for this country and these people. We love in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. May we take a moment of quiet to bring before the Lord those who are dear to us and who are on our hearts. Loving God, without you we are not able to please you. Mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. And we leave our loved ones, those who in the quiet of our own hearts we have brought before you, in your care. We pray as our Saviour Christ has taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. The hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. How do you change a city? Tim Keller is a Presbyterian pastor in New York who has had a remarkable and influential ministry in that city over the past 25 or so years. His answer to the question, how do you change a city, is that no one church can change a city. You need a movement to change a city. Here's how Keller describes this notion of movement in his book, Centre Church. Our goal as Christians and Christian ministers is never simply to build our own tribe. Instead, we seek the peace and prosperity of the city or community in which we are placed through a gospel movement led by the Holy Spirit. Movements like these do not follow a bounded set approach in which you only work with others who can sign off on nearly all your distinctive beliefs and practices. Rather, it follows a centred set of orientation in which you work most closely with those who face with you toward the same centre. That centre is a classic orthodox understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a common mission to reach and serve your city, and a commitment to have a generous, Christ-focused posture toward people who disagree with you. It's a type of movement that is missional, integrative and dynamic. Indeed, at this time, as we think of what is taking place in New York, we continue to pray the gospel would go forth in that city. More Matters is a bulletin put out by Moore Theological College. It's where I studied. In this autumn 2020 edition, Peter Jensen, the former Archbishop, uh, former Principal and of that college and Archbishop, former Archbishop of Sydney, has written an article which echoes much of the sentiment of Tim Keller's argument. Peter Jensen refers back to the extraordinary impact of the 1959 Billy Graham crusade, which, and I quote, could not have worked if it were not for gospel partnerships across the denominations. Peter goes on to note some features of these gospel partnerships. First, they occur between people who were prepared to identify as evangelical first and denominational second. And second, while noting differences between denominations, these were not allowed to interfere with the gospel work which was being done. And he refers to such things as infant baptism or church governance. Now, Peter Jensen is an Anglican by conviction, but as he writes, he also notes, what I, what I favour most of all is a gospel church where the Bible is taught. People sing and pray and grow together. And so he confesses what is needed in every suburb of the cities and in every country town as well is at least one gospel-focused church 
Anglican, Baptist, Presbyterian, uniting or independent. Peter concludes his article with an important warning. But remember this, such partnerships must be based on the truth of the gospel. If the college, that is more college, were to falter theologically, he says, the damage could be very significant. How do you change a city? Gospel partnership and the truth of the gospel. Today is Palm Sunday, the Sunday we mark each year, one week before Easter, the Sunday when Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem, when the gospel came to that city and changed it forever. How do you change a city? Well, today I invite you to look more closely at Matthew 21 and we'll see some answers to that question as we look at what occurred on Palm Sunday around AD 30. It's an event which is told in all four Gospels, but my focus this morning is on Matthew 21. Reading verses 1 to 2. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. The city is Jerusalem. Jesus had been travelling to this city for some time now. The last stop was Jericho, chapter 20, verse 9. And the road from Jer Jericho to Jerusalem is about 25 kilometres ascending around about 1,000 metres through a dry desert. As the road neared Jerusalem, it came to the east side of the city known as the Mount of Olives, passing through Bethany or Bethphage, which is just a few kilometres from Jerusalem. They probably arrived there on the Friday the Mount of Olives lay directly to the east of the city and directly overlooked the temple. You crossed the Kidron Valley to get there. As I think about that here in Bellevue Hill, our own position of our church, St Stephen's Bellevue Hill, uh, we can see across toward the city of Sydney. We are in the east in a similar kind of position. We can look across, see Centre Point Tower, and so on. It's a bit of a walk, but plenty have done it. Indeed, uh, annually we have the city to surf, which is along that kind of road. They would have been a kilometre or two closer where Jesus is located. But he is now at the city of Jerusalem. It's a city with a heritage. Of course, it is the city of David, conquered by that great king of Israel in 1000 BC, described in 2 Samuel 5, verses 6 and 7 in this way. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. 
In David's time, the city went through great change. And likewise, during the reign of his son Solomon, when the temple was built. Zion, the city of the great king. The Old Testament develops a massive theology from the fact that it was not only the city of David, but the city of the great temple, the heart of the life of the nation of Israel. And if you've been here at times when I've spoken about the reign of David, you might recall that David himself went up, up the ascent of the Mount of Olives. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 30. But as he did so, he wept, for he was fleeing the city with his own son Absalom coming toward it. Now, a thousand or so years later, Jesus draws to the city the same Mount of Olives. He beholds Jerusalem. Jerusalem with such a rich history and so much of it tragic. When Israel as a nation was destroyed by the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel along with many went into exile. But Daniel would go into his room where the windows faced toward Jerusalem. He would kneel down and pray facing that way. In exile he pleaded, Daniel 9 we read, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel pleading for change for the city. Do you remember the story of Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem? Jerusalem is a city that knows about change. It knows about war and destruction. Well did the psalmist cry, pray, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And now Jesus prepares to enter the city. He does so by giving some unusual instructions. As we read in verses 2 and 3, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Here is his mode of transport, the colt of a donkey. It's not exactly the most esteemed entrance. When Absalom began his assault on the throne, he did so by gathering a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. Why? Because that's the kind of pomp and ceremony that's appropriate for royalty. Kings travel first class. It's the same today. When we have a royal visit, visit to Sydney, the royals will often visit St Andrew's Cathedral. 
Prince William did this back in 2014. I looked it up. Prince William and Catherine, the Duchess of Cambridge, arrive at Sydney's St Andrew's Cathedral on April the 20th, 2014. I read under a photo. I clicked on images to look at some of the photos. The royals, the archbishop, the dean, but not one donkey in sight. There were some photos of their transport. Again, it wasn't some old Morris miner, which they leased from the cheapest second-hand dealer in town, chugging up George Street, blowing out smoke. Of course not. Beautiful, flashy vehicle. Royalty comes in royal garb and transport. That's the way you travel if you are a royal. Except for this royal. back in the first century, arriving in Jerusalem. No proud Absalom seizing the throne here. This was Jesus. And in making these arrangements for his entry, he was doing so specifically to send a message. A message that had been prophesied by the prophet Zechariah. Chapter 9, verse 9, we read, Say to a to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And Matthew makes explicit what is happening here. It is a fulfilment of scripture. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Note there is no question that while it is a humble entrance, the one who is entering is their king. Indeed, in John's Gospel, we're told that the disciples did not understand this until much later. Behind the Zechariah verse, there is also the prophetic word of the kingly descendant of the line of Judah. Back in Genesis 49, verse 10, we read, Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. And so the disciples follow Jesus' instruction and he enters riding on the colt, sitting on their cloaks, and along the road there are the crowds who have gathered there is a spontaneity to it all, which is striking. There's no red carpet, no official welcome, no formalities. The people place their own cloaks on the road. Others add to the sense of occasion and welcome by finding what is, what, what, what is near at hand to mark this entrance, to give it a sense of occasion, of honour and ceremony. And so the branches of trees nearby are cut and spread out on the road. From John, we discover that these are palm branches. And so we call this day Palm Sunday. The casting of the cloaks and the branches, of course, is a sign of submission to the one who is entering. There is this rising crescendo of noise. The crowds are in full voice bellowing, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna? It means save us. Psalm 118. 
2 Samuel 14 verse 4. But generally it just came to be a point of praise. God saved us, praise him, praise him. And notice what they call him, son of David. Here is the long-promised son of David. Way back in David's time, 2 Samuel chapter 7, the promise is recorded. There is no mistaking what they are thinking. He might be riding on the back of the fall of a donkey, but as he comes to Jerusalem, the crowds are welcoming the one who is their long-anticipated king, the messianic son of David. When he finally enters the city, the whole city is stirred. Those words with which I began. There in verse 10. The word stirred in the Greek that's translated here is the word from which we get the word seismic. It was an entrance which rocked the city, earthquake-like. It registered on the Richter scale. Everyone was impacted by his arrival. And the question shooting all around the city is this. Who is this? And the crowds respond, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. It's noteworthy that the answer is not in terms of royal or messianic claim, but in terms of his prophetic role. Here is the one who has the authority of a prophet, and it is that prophetic authority which is shaking the city. I remember the time when Tim Keller did come to our city of Sydney, and that's about six years ago, he spoke about our, our role and God's role in renewal and revival. And Keller used the analogy of Elijah before the so-called prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. You remember the story? Both sides build an altar and uh, the key is which one will go up in flames. The one that does, that one, God is on that one side. So when it comes to his turn, Elijah prays in 1 Kings 18, verse 37, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah's prayer is answered. And the prophet is revealed with all his authority. Here on his entry into Jerusalem, Matthew underlines the prophetic authority of the one entering. And what then does the prophet do? 
We'll listen to verses 12 to 17. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. What does the prophet do? He turns upside down the religious establishment. Jesus brings change and it begins there with the religious ones. In Isaiah chapter 59, the power plays of a corrupt city, power plays which Jesus here confronts many centuries after Isaiah is writing. But Isaiah describes such power plays in this way. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. Jesus confronts the evil in the city. He enters and cleanses the temple. He enters the place of worship, the temple. He casts out the profit-making fiasco which is happening. He attacks the money trade. Mammon is right at the centre of their worship. And there is a fury in his attack. The verb cast out is the same one used when Jesus casts out demons from people. These money changers and pigeon sellers, those making a profit out of the religious rites of the day, they are like demons within the very temple itself. The worship needs to be purified. It is exercised, exorcised of its demons. And Jesus denounces what is going on in a prophetic word of judgment. Quoting two Old Testament verses, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And then notice what happens. Verse 14. See who comes to you. The blind and the lame. Recall back in David's day, the blind and the lame had been excluded. Now Jesus comes. And they draw near to him, and they find healing. This section of Matthew 21 closes with two responses. The first one, children crying out, 
Hosanna to the son of David, full of praise and wonder at what is happening. I recall times we've had school scripture assemblies here in this church, all the young children here, and their voices, their lovely voices, singing out, calling out the delight, the pure innocence being expressed in the words of praise. Hosanna to the son of David. On the other hand, there is the contrast, the reaction of the religious authorities themselves. They are, we are told, indignant. The word is the same one which is used in Matthew 26, verse 8, when the perfume was poured. Why this waste? Their charge is against the claim being made, Hosanna to the son of David. This is more than a prophetic claim. Here is a messianic challenge. To that, Jesus responds with the words of Psalm 8, Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you've prepared praise. How do you change a city? Close with two, two conclusions. First, the power of the gospel, and second, the Holy Spirit of God. First, the power of the gospel. It takes a movement to change a city. That's how I began. Yes, that's right, but actually, no. It takes Jesus to change a city. The one who speaks with authority, given by God, the prophetic word of Jesus is powerful, for Jesus is Lord. The real message of Palm Sunday is that it was precisely not the might of movements in the way that the world thinks to bring change to the city of Jerusalem, nor would the world's might release the city and its people from the might of Rome. Jesus' entry was a prophetic fulfilment, as was his cleansing of the temple. But it took Jesus coming into the city in humility, in meekness. The critical feature of those who are involved in any so-called movement or gospel partnership, do you believe this? Do you believe in him? Do you believe in his rule being exercised in this way? Will you trust this Jesus who comes on the donkey? Ultimately, that is the movement that Jesus looks for. It is the truth of the gospel. The gospel is lived by faith. And Matthew here in his account presents both levels by sight and by faith. As Thomas Long notes, on one level we see the wild, even chaotic forces of the present age, forces that will spew out their bitter venom at Jesus and in a terrifying frenzy crucify him. At this level, everything is random, unpredictable. The disciples are sent out to gather up two haphazardly placed animals where, can, where they can find them. The animal's caretaker would have every reason to be alarmed to see the beasts being abducted. On the other level, however, is the steady, undeterred cadence of the will of God. 
everything that is occurring as Jesus enters Jerusalem is according to the divine plan, even as Jesus appears to be the victim of powers beyond his control. At the first level, Herod is king, Caesar is lord, Pilate is governor, the demons rule, and they, they will team up to take Jesus' life. But at the other level, Jesus, Jesus is Lord and King and Messiah. The forces of heaven rule and no one will take his life. He will give it freely. The first level is visible to all. The second is seen only through the eyes of faith. And it is the faith perspective which triumphs it is the faith which moves mountains. For of course, Jesus did change the city of Jerusalem. He rose from the dead. It was turned upside the city. Peter and his disciples would stand in the city and declare on the day of Pentecost that a new movement had begun, a movement that did not only change the city, but has brought revolution to the cities and nations of the world through the ensuing 20 centuries. Nothing will stop that change. The authorities tried back then in vain to stop it. Acts 4 is almost comical as you read it. The authorities say to Peter and John, we charge you not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. To which they answer, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. The gospel is lived by faith. During this past week, my wife Mary showed me a, a short video clip of our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, speaking and praying with respect to the coronavirus crisis. What a joy it was to hear the Prime Minister of Australia speaking in faith praying and quoting the words of the prophet Isaiah from chapter 58. I quote, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. The second conclusion, the source of change is the promised Holy Spirit. How did Jesus change the city? The crowds cried, Hosanna, save us, O God. By the Friday, there is the most extraordinary reversal. He entered the city in triumph, but the victory would only come through him being nailed to a Roman cross. And they mocked him, he saved others, but he can't save himself. So much for Hosanna. Why, what hath my Lord done? What makes this rage and spite? He made the lame to run, he gave the blind their sight. Sweet injuries, yet they at these themselves displease and against him rise.
But in order to save the city, Jesus needed to cast out the demonic worship from the city. And so the demonic authorities cast everything at him, and he himself was cast out of the city and hung outside the walls of Jerusalem. There he absorbed not only the city's sin, but the sin of the world, that we might be set free. Free to worship God in spirit and in truth. Free for his Holy Spirit to come and reside in your heart. And the question for you then becomes, will you welcome him? Is your house a house of prayer? Will the mammon and all the financial gains of this world govern your direction? The apostles discovered the secret. It was seismic. Acts 4 verse 31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Brothers and sisters, we live in uncertain, we might even feel it is chaotic times, but the truth of the gospel brings certainty, life, and hope and we are summoned to faith the summons for us here at the start of holy week 2020 in the midst of the COVID 19 crisis our calling is to faith to follow jesus the humble might messiah let us heed the exhortation of hebrews jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go outside to him, outside the camp, and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Let us pray. Almighty God, we ask and pray that you would apply this word to our own lives. We pray for your mercy upon our city. We pray for our lives to be lived in faith, following Jesus, who is Lord of all. In his name we pray. Amen. The hymn, Guide Me, O My Great Redeemer,
Friends, it's been good to be able to share together with you in worship and praise, hear the Lord's word, to call on him. In our various places where you have been watching, in our homes, looking forward to joining together at St Stephen's in the Lord's good time. But I close with the words of benediction from Revelation, words of invitation. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.